0: today with Kyle Rowling, who is a fight master, uh, director of the Action Acting Academy, which you can find at action-acting.com. And he is also, wait for it, the man who taught Samuel L. Jackson how to use a lightsaber. We will definitely be asking you questions about that. So, without further ado, Kyle, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Guy. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. Thank you. It's nice to see you. It's been a long time. It has. whereabouts in the world are you okay i am well Aaa is based in sydney australia so i am australian mm-hmm. born and bred i've been here uh, my whole life however at the beginning of the year uh the family and i chose to make a move out of sydney and i've moved about five hours south of sydney down into the Snowy mountain region um so i'm a country wow. boy now yeah uh, which is <laughs> a life change that was necessary and um very, very welcome. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous down here. But, um, yeah, the school was based in Sydney. I lived Sydney my whole life. Um, and the school is now running again. Yeah, it's took a couple of months, but because when I left Sydney, we had a, a space that you visited when you came out, that lovely hall. Ah, I remember it. Yeah. Well, we had to give that up. And, um, so it's taken a couple of months, but I have left my, Second in charge, my right hand for the last 15 years, Blake Wells, is now running classes Mm -hmm. again in Sydney. So you can find the details. Classes are now running again on a Wednesday night, drop in casual classes. Um, Anybody can come. No prior needed experience. Uh, If you've ever had a desire to pick up a sword or pretend to punch somebody in the face, uh, classes are on every Wednesday night again (laughs) now. And they can find the details through the website or through Instagram or Facebook.
0: Excellent. Okay. Honestly, I prefer to really punch people in the face rather than pretend to do it.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm working
0: back because that as well.
1: That's why I. Left.
0: <laughs> I mean, so, so, some people, some people really just need it. <laughs> yeah, they do. And that's why I
1: left Sydney before I ended up in uh, incarcerated.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, I mean, five hours, but it's quite a long way even by Australian standards.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's about four hundred kilometers. Okay. Yeah. Down the yeah. coast um, <clears throat> into the. Into the deep – yeah, we're, we're all, we don't have much snow in Australia, but I'm now based about an hour from the ski fields. Um, I'm oh, wow. not going okay. to divulge the exact town, if that's all right. No, no, of course. Um, of course. No, no, the part of Don't the, dox the, yourself. Is to, yeah, to, to get away from it all for a bit. Um, yeah. But I will say it's absolutely beautiful down here. The family is all adjusting very well.
0: Uh, well, my next question would be uh, how the kids taking to the change because that must be quite…
1: It was It was rough at the beginning, but we'd planned this for yeah. a long time. So, they had a long time to get used to it. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, for kids, um, again, I have an 11-year-old boy and an 8-year-old daughter now.
0: Uh, oh, my God. I remember they were… I think the youngest was still in nappies yeah. the
1: last time I saw yeah, them. Yeah, Lily was just a baby. Wow. Thing. It has been a while, mate. Um, but yeah. obviously, for the kids that age, leaving their friends is… The biggest issue um, yeah but they love it down here they've again they're very sociable kids and they've made some wonderful new friends um dylan started in scouts now which he absolutely loves so excellent um we're all doing great my wife is a high school teacher so she managed to find a job in the our town of choice and um so that was the clincher so you got a little right. rental house and um yeah but she, she, we go back to Sydney, visit parents and, and friends and whatnot occasionally. So um, it's all good. It's all very, very good. Okay. Good. Yeah, it's, it's
0: – I, I moved from uh, Helsinki to the UK in 2016 after 17 years of living in Helsinki. Right. And it was, it was pretty hard for me and it was pretty hard for the kids. Uh, we did it for family reasons and whatnot, you know, elderly parents and, and so on. And it was totally the right thing to do, but yeah. the transition was was not easy.
1: Yeah, I, I can't can't express how much it was the right thing to do at the time. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so at the moment I'm a, a on a hiatus um, of mm. sword fighting and training. I'm by no means done, but it was just a a time to get out of Sydney and take a break from the industry. Um, yeah, there was a lot of things happening within the industry as an actor as well. Um, and, mm-hmm. Just wasn't very coherent for my career at the time, so it was just a, a necessary thing to okay. take a break and uh,
0: reevaluate,
1: and um, yeah, see where the next move takes us.
0: Excellent. Okay, so tell us how you got started swinging swords around.
1: Wow. Okay, so when I was eight. A long time ago. Long time ago in, a, in, a, in a, <laughs> far far away. Um, yeah, I, it started when I was eight. Um, that was 1978. I was eight years old and I started my first acting and martial arts class. So, um, I, since I was about six, I remember I wanted to be an actor. Um, and then I started martial arts and then as a young teenager, I was actually more into guns. Guns were the thing that I loved and uh, Mm -hmm. I wanted to play with guns somehow, some way. Um, and then for like many of us, uh, I saw Highlander ah Uh, what a film that's it i missed it at the cinema which really bummed me out and the moment i could rent it i rented it on a vhs tape kids go and google vhs tape (laughs) Um, (laughs) and i watched it four times in a row you know yeah and and i was hooked uh so that was the start of it and then i kept with the martial arts um traditional I, i started with judo when i was eight did judo for two years and then traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu. I hate having right. to para- like to cl- clarify that these days, but it wasn't Brazilian jiu-jitsu, <sighs> traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu. Um, yeah, which is a different different animal altogether. Yeah. Um, look, yeah. nothing against BJJ. They've taken one element no. of jiu-jitsu, and absolutely what they've done with it is phenomenal. Um, yeah. But, and then I moved on to uh, Kung Fu, and I did uh, – Yakumun Kung Fu for four years, and then Jiao Gar Kung Fu for four years, which really got me into the weaponry side of things uh, deeply. Um, and then it was 2000, thereabouts, 2002, I went to the Paddy Crane Workshop in Banff, Canada, which is All right. one of the last. So I was invited
0: to that, but I couldn't go for some reason. I forget why.
1: Well, I, I was a, a key instructor for 20 years uh, at the Paddy Crane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first Patty Crane that I was there when I met Brad Waller, who was the man right. instrumental for starting it all. And at the end of that first week, Brad invited me to come back the following year. Like it was only held every two years, but the following year, mm-hmm. uh, as an instructor. And I was Lovely. blown away, but it was that trip where I was because I'd already been doing stage combat. I started stage combat in 1993. Okay. So mm-hmm. jumping around here a little bit, but I, I, I found stage combat. I wanted to use my acting and my martial arts, so I went for a stunt grading. Yeah? And in Australia, we yeah. get very stringent gradings like you do in the UK. Yeah, the system for man. And I got knocked back, which I later found out that they knock everybody back in Australia on their first attempt to see if you're serious yeah. or not. Uh, yeah. on the way home, I was a bit… The classic. Class. Yeah. And then I heard an ad on the radio in the car for a stage combat workshop. So, I went and checked it out. And um, that was it. It was the acting and the martial arts combined into one. Uh, yeah. And so I trained with a man called Steve Douglas Craig. for, And we were buddies and partners for seven years um, mm-hmm. under the Society of Australian Fight Directors. So uh, that was the introduction into stage combat and European weaponry. But it wasn't until – so in 2000, I got my Fight Directors certification through them. And then I went to the paddy crane and then my eyes were opened because there was one thing that bugged me about stage combat. It was the old school. Generic, every weapon has the same five targets and you use. Them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you I, know what I'm talking about. Yeah.
0: In the early 90s, I went to a couple of stage combat courses and horrible. I was like, That's Horrible, right? This is, at least I get to play
1: with a rapier, but this is not how rapiers work. No, let's cut one, two, three, four, five with the rapier and the longsword and the staff.
0: Ah, uh, no. Forward. No. <laughs> so,
1: um, but when yeah. I got to Canada and I met people like Brad Waller and um, Maestro Ranger and Martinez, Jared Kirby, John Lennox, Stephen Huff, Scott Brown, all these yeah. historical martial artists that were there sharing. And I went, this is what it should be. And that really triggered my deep love and fascination for learning more about historical European weaponry. As I said, I had a, a lot of Asian weaponry under my belt at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, okay, now we can start working. So, we came home and then for one reason or another, which we won't get to, like happens in every country, there was a need for a new association. Um, yeah. And we, we mucked around, but around 2010, um, me and a group of students started the Australian Stage Combat Association, uh, which was another not-for-profit governing body, for stage combat, which I've right. been the president of ever since. Um, and uh, we've done some amazing work with curriculum and development and I've continued to, Travel and train as much as I could to really bring, and I know this is another question I think you're going to ask the history back into sword fights. Um, right, so I'll leave that there for a moment until you get to your your next question. But
0: <laughs> well, much- I, I, I can skip around my question, my questions are not written in stone, yeah, they're it, literally it just a, printed was, out
1: the again. A lifetime journey that started when I was eight was really inspired by Highlander. Um, very sad that they made any sequels to it or they're even considering a reboot right?
0: yeah oh god no oh yeah you have yes. <laughs> I know I I I have heard I just I just blocked it out of my mind you know the way the way you stre- you know like traumatic things you just yeah. kind of you can just yeah. block them out and and I did okay I was too young to get into the cinema to see Highlander when it came right. out sure but I was old enough to go see Highlander 2 <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking forward to it so much. And then you went... Because it was like, I'd watched Highlander, the, the original Highlander, I don't know how many times yeah. on you know VHS and whatnot. And it was so good. Yeah. And we were so excited. And me and my friend James went and it was just <laughs> so painful. It was so bad, it actually stole goodness from the original. Yeah. Because they they, they they came up with a whole load of absolute horseshit about yeah. them being aliens or something yeah. stupid.
1: What what bugged me? It's like, was perfect as it was, and it was completely perfect. Up. He got the quickening, he became mortal, and it was over. Right? There was yeah. More, there was Done. more. And um, it's a complete story arc, right? Yeah. There. It's it's Hollywood's fascination with sequel after sequel after sequel. Which uh, there has only ever been one or two movies I can think of that actually had a good sequel to it you know, and yeah. Um, Godfather being one. Godfather. i I've got to be honest. I have never seen any of the Godfather films. Oh my God. Oh, totally worth yeah. it. Uh, got the
0: first Godfather, superb. Yeah. And Godfather part two. Yeah. Is actually, I think it's the only sequel that's ever won an Oscar for best movie. And it totally deserved it. It was yeah, cool. It, it's, a, it's, it's as good as the first one, but that is really unusual. Also, Empire Strikes Back is as yeah, good. As I'll give you
1: was Yeah. It did very well with their, Thing. And and I've got to say the new um Star Trek franchise I've been very impressed with. I'm loving them. Can't wait for the next one to come I, out.
0: I can't get into them.
1: Yeah, right. Really? I tried. See, I was never a, yeah. like, as a kid. I was always a Star Wars kid. So I didn't do the T V series. I didn't really do many of the old movies. Um Okay. And uh but I knew enough about Star Trek and I knew the characters, obviously, from watching the old yeah. original Shatner series. But um yeah. yeah, I just I just felt there was uh, Great chemistry with the actors, and I thought they were very well done. So, but okay. who knows? <laughs> Each do their own. Yeah, and
0: also it's 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 worth sort of remembering that, you know, if you come across a particular franchise when you're in its target demographic, yeah, and then 20 years later they do new things with the franchise aimed at the same target demographic, yeah. you are no longer in that target demographic because you're 20 years older.
1: Yeah, and right? I, I will tell uh, you from... Actual conversations with George Lucas, why everybody got their panties in a twist about the prequels, right? Yeah. George uh, admits he makes movies for 10-year-old kids, right? Right. So when we all thought, saw the first Star Wars, we were all 10. And then yeah, he it to grow up with us 20 years later and be more mature and be made for us again, but it wasn't. So, I mean, yes, <laughs> yeah. I worked on the prequels and we'll talk about that. But when the the last lot came out, I went and saw it and went oh. Then I went and saw it with my ten year old son, and I watched right. it through his eyes and him jumping up and down in the sea. And I went, I get it, I get it, yeah. And I I I, w- I
0: watched <laughs> the last the last three movies with my daughters, yeah, right, right, and okay, they were not particularly keen on the first on the original movies because it's basically all boys except for a princess. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And one princess who doesn't fight anyone. She's very important and and brave and everything but she doesn't actually fight anyone really. I mean, she shoots a couple of people maybe in, 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 but you know, massively wasted character. But finally, you actually have a female protagonist and my female children go,
1: oh, I want to be a Jedi. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right? Representation matters. Yeah. And And again, and and my my son, knowing that and, that I'd worked on them and seen all the movies leading up to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was right in it. But he was the aimed demographic. Yeah. Right. And that's what people have to remember when you go to watch him. You have to watch him as a 10-year-old kid, boy or girl.
0: Although, for for The Force Awakens, yep. my 10-year-old kid was internally activated to the max. I absolutely loved it, mm-hmm. from start to finish. It was brilliant. Cool. Awesome. Just, Yeah. So, yes, <laughs> one of the things about swords is they keep you young, apparently. Absolutely. Or they kill you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, um, you're the only person I know who Samuel L. Jackson has called a motherfucker to oh, yeah. his face. Oh, yeah. So, so I, I have to know, what did you say to poor Samuel
1: that made him call you a motherfucker? Uh, <laughs> look, everybody knows that that term... Was invented decades ago just for that man, right? That's right. We invented the term and then we waited for him to come along for it. Yeah. So it was, uh, it's a wonderful story. So, yes, I'm very deeply honored to have been called face to my face a motherfucker by Samuel. But it's, we were training one day. Yeah. It was the first training day that we had Sam for, for EP3. Yeah. I'd met him briefly on episode two, but I didn't work with him. So on episode three, we're training him for his fight against the emperor. Uh, sorry, spoilers if you haven't seen him. Ah, um, oh, sorry, it was a long time ago. People have,
0: haven't I, seen the movies, uh, I yet. Feel yeah. I think that's
1: Nobody had. has the right to ruin it. If I want to wait thirty years to see a movie, that's my obligation. But <laughs> we were training, and we we got down about the first nine moves of the the fight. We played with it for a bit and said, "All right, let's just flow it. Let's run it." So he's run through nine moves, bum bum bum, and he looks at me and goes, "How was that?" I said. Yeah, all right, no, that that'll do for now. And he looked me square in the face, big bug eyes. Said, fuck that'll do for now, motherfucker. Was it right or wrong? And it was like, <laughs> in, I can't do it, like, justice. But he it well in my face. Like, what do you mean? It was, uh, and I like, oh, 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 oh. And then he just smiles and laughs and gives me a hug. Yeah, <laughs> uh, wh- whispers the n-word into my ear. Like, I love you, n-word. <laughs> and we went back. Oh my to- god. So, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience, wonderful moment, but he really threw me because I really thought, like, it was first day working with him, I didn't know him at all, and I thought, oh my yeah. god, I've just offended Samuel L. Jackson, and I'm offended <laughs> for of this movie, and I'm screwed, and, uh, no, it was just him playing with me, and, uh, yeah, he had a ball with that, I tell you, but it was a wonderful, yeah, that's so, that's my Samuel L. Jackson motherfucker story. <laughs>
0: So how how did you get into the position where you were teaching Samuel L. Jackson how to fight with a lightsaber?
1: Oh, cool. <clears throat> when they were when I saw episode one uh, at the cinema, I said to my partner at the time, uh, we knew it was episode two was coming to Sydney to film, and I just put it out there in the universe. So I have to work on these films. And yeah. as it turns around, they were in Sydney rehearsing, and it was actually my sister. Yeah, you know, they got me the job, believe it or not. So my sister oh, wow. was in a club one night, and um, this guy was trying to pick her up, and uh, big noting himself that he'd been down at the set and he was working on Star Wars and blah blah blah, and so she started buying him drinks instead, and oh wow, got him. Back, That's a
0: good sister.
1: Got him drinks. That is a good sister. And got Nick Gillard's phone number. Now Nick Gillard was the stunt coordinator for episode two and three, one, two and three. Um, and if anybody doesn't know Nick. Uh, trust me, you have seen him in a film. If you go and look at Nick Gillard's IMDb, it is absolutely phenomenal. Um, how do you spell Gillard? G-I-L-L-A-R-D. Okay, so how you'd expect. Okay. Yeah. Um, the boss... Now, I, I affectionately call him the boss, um, and I have called him nothing else since, Though I have one funny story from another show we did. Um, but the boss was... Uh, yeah, he's done everything that you can imagine. He started his career under Vic Armstrong, yeah, you right. legendary UK stunt coordinator, but he goes all the way back to the early Bond films, um Indiana Jones, yeah, you name it, Willow, Labyrinth, yeah, um yeah. Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. It, his IMDb is phenomenal. So anyway, my sister gets his phone number and gives it to me. So I Wow, that, I, I, you owe your sister. Yeah, good time. Um, and then we heard he was looking for a tall swordsman to double Christopher Lee, right? So okay, I called him up the next day and I said, listen, you don't know me. Um, my name's Kyle. I, I'm a tall swordsman. I believe you're looking for somebody. Um, and here's a little bit about me and blah, blah, blah. And he went, uh, all right, send me a CV. So I put a CV in the post and I sent it off. And I didn't hear anything. So a week later, I sent him another one. And then a week later, I sent him another one. I now know the story. <laughs> so when he got my first CV, being English as he is, he mm-hmm. opened it up, and my English accent's not great at the moment, but he opened it up and take, took one look at my headshot and said, Oh God, guys with ponytails are wankers, and threw it straight <laughs> totally into the garbage. <laughs> So he sat in the bin. He turned up a week later and he goes, fuck that ponytail wanker again, binned me. In the meantime, he's gone through like 150 Aussie stuntmen trying to find somebody and not one of them could really use a sword. So the third one come along and he put it at the bottom of the pile and eventually he got down to it. He said, Oh fuck the ponytail wanker. All right, let's get him in. So we came in and we, we started having a play and, uh, He's giving me sword and he's marking it through um, the choreography, and he has his famous up the back parry, yeah, where he's parrying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, down, down, like hanging down behind his back.
0: Right. Dreadful, dreadful thing to do in a sword fight.
1: I know, but it's a wonderful thing in a lightsaber for sword fight. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, it looks great. It looks great on 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 screen. Just don't do it in real life. No.
1: So he's to my left, and I've this sword down here, and he goes now from here. I want you to thrust me in the belly. And, like, from this position, and I didn't even think it. My buddy just did it. I pulled my sword out to the right, flipped the mouliné, and come through with a Chinese thrust to the belly. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What what was that? What was that? And I went, I don't don't know. He said, do that again. And in my head, I'm going, I'll come on, buddy. Don't fail me now. So we got back in the same position, pulled out the same mouliné thrust, and he was like, I'll put the sword down, mate. You've got the job. I'll have it wiped too, right? so I then made an Englishman, the best cup of tea he'd ever had, and that's what bonded our friendship for life. <laughs> he said, you got the job. Um, he took me down to, to set and introduced me to Ewan and Hayden. Um, and then uh, he said, all right, Nick, off, come back tomorrow. So I'm going to get up to the car park, and I start calling everybody I know, going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I got the job. Yeah. And then his phone, he calls me. I go, yes, yes, boss, what's up? He goes, um, listen, any chance you could come back? Rick McCallum, the producer, wants to have a look at you. I said, I haven't left. I'll be there in two minutes. <laughs> so <Sorry about that. laughs> He's now got two swords uh, yeah. and I've got one and he's marking through some choreo again. And he says, listen, um, look, this side that I'm doing is actually the side you'll be doing. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. nobody has – we'll get back to Dooku and Twin Sabers in a minute. Okay. Yeah. So he said, what do you like with two swords? And I've just kind of casually, well, give me the other sword. And I broke into a whole bunch of my Chinese flippy twirly stuff. Anyway, yeah. you wanker. All right, put the sword <laughs> down. Make me a cup of tea. Rick will be here in a minute. Um, so Rick turned up and he, he's gone, just do your flippy twirly shit, Kyle. So I did the flippy twirly shit. And Rick's gone, oh, lovely. Well done, Spunky. See you tomorrow. Yeah. And and so that was it. Um, I, I, I was in. So I did... Episode two, only a total of like 20 days on that one. Um, mm-hmm. But then when I, I just made such a great bond with Nick and he, um, to the point that he let me be a Jedi in the arena battle, which uh, oh, wow. I pop up a couple of times and I now have an action figure from my character, Jocelyn Danver. Uh, how, how do you spell that character name? Okay, J-O-C-L-A-D. D-A- Jocklad. Jocklad. D-A-N-V-A. Jocklad Danva. So I have an official Star Wars action figure of me when I was in my prime at 30, looking all sexy. And then a few years back, my son for Father's Day bought me the Lego Jocklad Danver figure.
0: Oh, perfect.
1: So I have both of them sitting in pride of place in my little special cabinet. Um, Yeah. So... Yeah, that was a, a bit of a rush. But, I mean, that action figure came out eight years later. I mean, I guess George was saying, hmm, what else can we make some money on? And, of course, I don't see the cent of that. But, um, <laughs> uh, but who cares? You have an action figure have on an action you. action figure, yeah. You can keep your shiny gold trophy, bald trophy. Um, I've been immortalized in plastic, and that'll do me. <laughs> so I did the arena battle for him. Again, funny. He was always trying to cut my hair. Again, he still is to this day, right? If Nick could get me a job where I had to shave my head, it would be his happiest day on his earth, okay? Um, but it, we, we shot the arena battle for like five days, and for two days we, uh, we had a whole bunch of kendo uh, extras, yeah, mm-hmm. and they were all very stiff and very kendo, and so we would put them in the background, and the boss kept putting me in the foreground to do some fancy stuff. And on the third day we turn up, he puts me in front of the camera and the camera is like, no, no, no. Look, we've seen him, the same guy, for two days. you got to get rid of him. So they sent me down to the creature shop so go and get dressed right. up, come back, yeah, you know, so we can't see your face. And I get to the creature shop and there's 12 alien heads lined up on this table so that I can take my pick. So I picked the weak way with four-foot-long dreadlocks. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent two days as a weak way and then they were tired of him. And they sent me to get changed again. And I got a long blonde wig and a, a different change of Jedi outfit. And I came back as Sven the Swedish Jedi. Uh, so, <laughs> but I, I said, no, give me the long blonde wig. So every chance I could get, I got longer hair than I had.
0: <laughs> uh, just to fuck with Nick.
1: Just to fuck with Nick. And so then whenever the three came around, yeah, you know, we'd stayed in touch. And he called me out. And he said, mate, you're on full time this time. So episode three was six months, full-time, six days a week, 10 hours. Lovely. Um, and once again, to double Christopher Lee. and um, But I also was General Grievous, which not many people know about. So Really? Yeah. So I didn't know that. I didn't get to do the name. And unfortunately, the guy that did The Voice, sorry, I didn't get to do The Voice. The guy mm. that did The Voice gets all the credit for being uh, Grievous. Yeah. Right. But he spent... Uh, half a day in a recording studio, and I spent six months in blue spandex suit, Yeah, know. Uh, right. So, again, there was a lot of things. When we had the first script, the fight between um, Grievous and Obi-Wan, the big fight that they have, Grievous had one of the Magna Guard's power poles. So we'd spent right. months choreographing this incredible star versus sword fight with you on. And then George turns up two weeks before shooting starts. He goes, no, 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 I've changed that now. He now has four arms and four lightsabers. And we just goes, looked at him and went, George, that's that's brilliant. You, that's brilliant. And we walked away going, what the fuck are we thinking? <laughs> so um, we had the challenge of creating the four-on-one uh, lightsaber fight at that point, which was um, to try and not change as – we tried to change as little as possible for Ewan. Right. Yeah. So where the staff was uh, yeah, a strike to the shoulder, strike to the leg, strike to the head, thrust to the belly, we use that same sequence. Sequence, just different arms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we made up what we called uh ghost hits. So I'd be striking this target, this target, three hits, and they say, right, now there's going to be one coming to your – a thrust to your left hip, but I'm not going to throw anything at you. Right. Yeah. So Ewan went, okay, parry, 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 nothing, parry, 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 nothing, parry, 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 nothing, Uh, which is why Grievous gets two of his hands cut off quick, right? (laughs) Ah, makes life a lot easier. Um, And then once he had that down pat, um, the CGI's guys came up and they recorded the fight and we talked them through Yeah, all the ghost hits, so they knew what they were doing. And then, of course, you see the movie and you get that stupid Cuisinart spinny, spinny, spinny thing that he starts the fight with. And, yeah, Yeah. most of the good fight that we had was gone. The best fight we ever did, we think, Mick and I agree, um, just before he fights Grievous, the four Magna Guards step up on Obi-Wan. And we had this incredible sequence of four guys with stars fighting one guy with a sword. And we actually put him in the middle of us. Right, Oh, God. Not, yeah, not, that's hard. not one taking a turn, one taking a turn. And one's <laughs> jumping and ducking and rolling. And, yeah, it was incredible. And, yeah, he cut, cut cuts us all down. And then that bit where you see the last one crawling towards him and he drops the container on it. Yeah. Yeah. But what happens? He just drops a container on one dude and that was the end of that fight. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot of tragedy. Uh, but one of the best lessons I learned from the boss, especially after episode two, um, the first time I saw it in the cinema, I actually didn't see me fighting Yoda because my head was in my partner's chest crying my eyes out at how badly they had ruined the Anakin and Obi-Wan fights, right? I was, <laughs> I was literally so, I shouldn't laugh because no. that's distressing. But. Yeah, no, I, I was literally gutted. We can laugh now, but I was, I was gutted. And I called the boss up and go, did you see what they did to our fights? How dare we do this? And he went, mate, it's not your fight. George paid you for a product. It's his fight, and if he wants to use one move, that's his prerogative. So, yeah. a really interesting lesson that as uh, to get emotionally invested in the the choreography and the training, but don't get emotionally attached to the the, the final outcome. Yeah, because it,
0: I guess it's like yeah, you know, if if I buy a Swiss Army knife. And I snap the main blade off and glue it to the end of a stick. Yep. And that's, and I throw the rest of it away. Yep. It, I, it's my knife. I can do what I want with it. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But yeah,
0: it must be. Yeah. It was hard to see something that you've created.
1: Yeah. But I was, sort I was very up. glad to see when we did get to episode three and the big fight between Annie and Obi at the end. Um, yeah. That's a fight that I, me personally, again, being a Star Wars freak as a kid, I'd been waiting to see for 30 years. And right. now I get the opportunity to choreograph it. So that fight, I knew going in, I wanted to do the largest sword fight in cinema history. And okay. to my research prior to that, it's the six and a half minute fight in Scaramouche from 1963. That, that's the longest, yeah. It's the longest fight. I think so. So the yeah. one time that we did this fight, me and my buddy at the time that was working with me, we did it in full. Yeah, for Nick and Sam Jackson. Yeah, It yeah. ran for 14 and a half minutes. Fucking hell, that's it's, a long fight. Yeah, there's 11 and a half minutes in the final film. It was 500, wow. 596 moves in 25 sections and it covered over 800 meters in a straight line.
0: Wow, So that is an enormous
1: fight. Yeah. That, is- mu- that
0: must be the longest and the and. The one covering the most ground, yeah, must be, has to be,
1: yeah. I I can't think of any other fight that goes anywhere near fourteen minutes. So to lose Uh, three minutes out of it, I wasn't too fat, but um, it's still an amazing piece. But again, as a fight director from a theatrical background, um, the one thing that is the way they chopped it up because the story was really important to me and to you and and Hayden uh, and to Nick. So it's actually, you don't get it now in the, the way it's cut, but we wanted it to run, just go to Woe, Yeah, but he had to cut it in with the space battle and the ground battle and- Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even then he cut sections up wrong. So what people don't understand is Obi-Wan is never trying to hurt Anakin. Well, yeah, no, I, I got that. Trying to save him and bring him back. So the first 60 moves, he didn't attack once, he parried and did nothing to carry yeah. it in a void. And he's like, okay, kid, get it out of your system. We'll hug it out, and we'll go home and have tea, right? Yeah. Um, then that's not working, so he has to go for the small wound. All right, that's not working. I'm going to take your hand off. That doesn't work um, until – now, do not blame me for the end. I must say, the end of that fight with the high ground and the leap over and the cut, cut, Yeah, that is not my end. That's George's end, right? Okay. We, Nick and I, had an incredible end to it, and it's tough to describe, but I'll, I'll give it a go. But when we showed Ewan, he just dropped his sabre, grabbed me by the cheeks, and gave me a big kiss on the j- lips, and went, thank God somebody <laughs> understands this character. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So what we done... Like, so, so,
0: so your main claim to fame really is that Ewan McGregor has kissed you on the mouth?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a pretty good claim to fame. That's a pretty good one, yeah. So My, uh, my wife likes that one too. <laughs> <laughs> I <bet. laughs> But, yeah, no, it was um, a a wonderful moment that we – because the only brief we had on that whole fight, apart from being shown the set model and saying it has to go from this landing platform down here, down these steps, across this hallway, into this room, out of this room, into this room, through the big room, into the little room, back to the big room, ahead you on the balcony, down and blah, blah, blah. And so George is just – Yeah. Yeah. But the only thing was that Anakin had to lose his human left hand and both legs – to become Vader, right? Yeah. He's already has his robot right hand. And um, so it choreographed it. So they both jumped off the floaty thing and landed on the dirt. There was another short exchange, and Anakin disarmed Obi-Wan and grabs him by the throat with the left hand, right? Right. And there was just this moment of looking at each other, and obi Wan saying, dude, don't do this. You leave me no choice. And then as Anakin brings his cut into cut, Obi-Wan's head off, Obi-Wan force sucked his saber up from the inside, flipped and cut off his hand that was holding the throat, Yeah. ducked under and span around underneath the slash that goes over his head, cut him off at the knees and force blew him down the hill, right? That'll be so much better. Now wait for it. As he's tumbling down the hill, Obi-Wan then grabs him with the force and holds him four feet from the lava and holds him through the whole speech. Right. Wow. And so Anakin says, "I hate you," and Ewan. So we knew he have to say, "Well, I can't help you and walk away." And I said, "Ewan, I want you to hold him, but turn and take two steps before you let him go." Right. So he doesn't fall in. Yeah. So no. So you don't see him fall in. You know right. he's going to, but with the moment you release that force hold, he's going to slide into the lava. But you can't bear to watch it. That's when he kissed me. Right. Right? He holds him, he turns his back, takes two steps with his hand trailing behind him and then drops his head and lets him go and Anakin slides into the lava. That's the ending you should have got. And that is... That would have been so much better. Ewan abused George on a daily basis for three weeks begging for that. Right? Begging for that end. And um, in the end it didn't happen. Fuck. But that's what... That's... Yeah. So please don't blame me. Don't send hate mail for the no, that one no, fight because it did have a much better ending.
0: Yeah. Okay. So um, you sort of casually skipped over the Count Dooku Yoda fight. Yeah. Um. Um. Because you, you said um, they were looking for a tall swordsman to yeah. be Christopher Lee stunt double.
1: Yeah. So, so that was you? Hey, that was me. Yeah. So I okay. originally hired to, to double Chris. Yeah. Um, Now, Chris is 6'5", was, God rest him, yeah. Uh, And I know we're going to have a chat about him shortly. Um, 6'5", so I was in three-inch heels, I was 6'2", yeah. Aren't you you normally in three-inch heels, mate? (laughs) No, they're normally six inches, mate. (laughs) Um, But you can't find the 6 inches one. so you you, – But they – because they didn't want a three-inch heel on the boot, so the boot was built up on the inside. Yeah, yeah. Here I am dealing with a horrible cloak to try and fight in, which is why the Jedi's yeah. ditched their robes as well. They're a bitch to fight in, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I was doing the Ginger Roger things, yeah, doing everything the boys were doing, but backwards and in high heels. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I trained with the boys for Ep2 for 17 days, and then we did a, a week of shooting for that. Um, and just an, an incredible experience. Again, this is the first feature that I'm working on now. And then mm-hmm. we get to the Yoda fight. Now, I'd been weeks prior to this trying to choreograph the Yoda fight. And the boss came down to have a look at me one day and goes, what are you doing? Just do your flippy twirly bullshit, right? Yoda is so fast and the computers are so fast. It doesn't matter. I want you as fast as you can be, right? They're just okay. going to put Yoda in to match you. And I went, oh, okay, okay. cool. So on the day on the set, we had six points, little chalk marks on the floor that I had to hit each of those marks and pull a pose where they were going to put Chris in for his dialogue and his look. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah. So we take off and I do flip, 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 12 flips, spin, 12 flip, hit the mark. Cool. Do it again. Yeah. Hit the mark. And the boss came up to me. He goes, Different again, but nice. <laughs> and there was no <laughs> way that I could remember what I was doing, right? so long. Yeah, okay. The so, so they, they were not like really carefully choreographed. It was no, just they, like I flip it about to- a bit and then do this. Yeah, I tried to choreograph it and it was too slow and wasn't working. So um, Nick just said, just do it. So Nick was the only one that knew I was doing anything slightly different between each chalk mark, yeah? Right. But he didn't care, yeah. I hit the mark the same and that was all that really mattered, yeah? And then they put Yoda in later on. Yeah, so, sure. um, but the funny thing, like, I remember the first day on set, and I'd get in there at 4 a.m. to get the makeup and costume done. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I'm in costume and I'm sitting on the set, and then I you can't miss Chris Flea when he walks in the room, he's just head and shoulders above everybody. And I look over and I see Chris talking to George, like, standing 60 yards away talking, and then sort of Chris just looks around and spots me and just puts his hand up and gives George the hold on a minute and walks over to me and introduces himself. Yeah. Oh, what a gentleman. Ah, dude, you have no idea. So we, this happens for a week. He only ever sees me in the dooku outfit. Right. And on the final day I'm in the makeup room and they're derobing me and the beard comes off and the wig comes off and my hair falls out and over the shoulder I hear. So that's what you look like, dear boy. And I spent—he'd <laughs> been standing there for five minutes waiting to meet me, right? Oh, he's double me. So um, it was like wow. And uh, he said, "Come here." Yeah, and I stood up and he gave me a big hug and um, yeah, said thank you. Um, I know we're going to talk about it. We may as well keep going with Chris if that's yeah. Go for it. Okay. Um, so again, as some people may or may not know. He apparently still holds the world record for more sword fights on screen than any other actor in history, right? Starting in his early days as an extra on Errol Flynn films, on the ship, yeah, going through all of his other films. Uh, At the time, well, that was 20 years ago. At the time, that was a thing. To be asked to be his double now because he was in his golden years and just unable to do it, you can't understand the, the pride and the privilege of that moment yeah um to to be able to do that for him and that's why at the very because we'd filmed all the yoda fight before he came to set so we were just putting him in his bits yeah yeah so right so you know at the beginning he salutes yoda yeah gives yeah. a little and um as he, he steps up and goes, all right, this is the first thing you're gonna do chris you're gonna bring it up and mullinay it out and he goes i know this goes, i know you do sir and like between you and me this isn't a salute to you yoda, yoda mate this is me saluting you and he just stepped back Aww. and he brought his saber up to me and he saluted me Aww. and we saluted each other. And there was just such a wonderful, one of those guys that once they're all gone, we're not getting them back. You know, we're not going to see the likes of him or Anthony Hopkins or yeah, any of those gentlemen again. Yeah. Once they're all gone, we're, we're looking at the end of a, uh, of an era of, of, yeah, man, I'm doing my best to try and raise my son the best way that I can but they were there were there was something different about those men you know and that will always be uh and should always be an inspiration you know to anybody coming up under them. so um but it was uh so we we had some fun um, there's another fun story on episode three we knew he was not going to be fighting yeah he had His heart was failing. He had orders not to lift his hands above his shoulders or turn his head quickly. Yeah, well. Oh, right. Wow. I didn't realize he was that ill. Yeah. He he was 84 when we did episode three. Right. Yeah. So um, we completely worked on the premise that we were going to do the same way as we did episode two. Yeah. He was going to do none of the fighting. And George was like, no, no, no. I want him to fight. We got to set one day and I'm in costume. He's in costume. And he's like, right. Is Chris ready to do his fight? I said, no, Kyle's going to be doing the fight. And he's like, no, 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 it's got to be Chris. So this, okay. Uh, There was a little bit of a kerfuffle. And the boss said, take him up to the room and teach him now. Go. So we took him up to the room. He did about two minutes and then, like, no, I can't do this. I'm not doing this. And sat down, pulled out a big 10 inch stogie. Yeah. (laughs) And started smoking his cigar while we had a. Yeah. So we chatted and chatted. And then we got called back down um and the day continued on and then that night i was at home and i get a panic call from rick mccallum the producer saying Smuggy, what happened today what happened what happened with chris what happened i was like, i don't know what what do you mean well he's just called us from his hotel room he wants you to call him back immediately he's just got back from the hospital right so call call him talk to him and then call me back and let me know what's going on yeah, all right Rick. okay all right so i call him up and chris yes boy um, you're all right, mate. I heard you're at the hospital. Oh, no, no. That's just my weekly checkup. Yeah. Oh, they said you want to talk to me. Yes, we didn't get to finish our conversation. Oh. And so we chatted for an hour. Yeah. And then I called Rick back and he said, what was it? What was it? I said, none of your fucking business. <laughs> he was, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's fine. He just wanted to chat to me. And he went, oh, okay then. So, um, yeah, I, one of the, yeah, one of the many amazing... moments and memories that I have of him. Um, And yes, uh, we pointed out before we started recording, his, um, yeah, his past. Yeah. It was funny. You'd be having a conversation with him and he'd go, I remember once in 1942, cats are wonderful things, aren't they? They're so wonderful. You see the brainwashing kick in where he starts going to talk about a story of being behind enemy lines in 1942 or something. And then all of a sudden he's talking about cats. And I went. Is this guy senile, or is this pro- deprogramming? Yeah, that he still to this day wasn't allowed to talk about things that he did during the war. <laughs> yeah, and I, it happened yeah. half a dozen times. And I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs>
0: oh my god. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's that generation, isn't it? They yeah. don't talk about no. They don't talk about that sort of thing.
1: Well, I mean, from what I understand, he was like he was a. A spy, right? He was not. He was forbidden to. Not that he didn't want to. It looked like he wasn't allowed to. And yeah,
0: mention yeah, the other things he'd done.
1: Yeah. So, but again, absolute, absolute gentleman. Um, so awesome and so privileged to have had that opportunity. Yeah. And um, yeah, he was very grateful for the work. Yeah, that I did for him to make him look and give him his last hurrah. Yeah, the way he did. Yeah, it's funny because
0: I've seen those films more than once and I, it, never, it never crossed my mind that it wasn't him actually doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. You do a good job.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, it's clearly, clearly those heels worked. Yeah, no, the heels worked. Um, and, uh, I, I, I mean, I was in a, a wig and a beard every day yeah, in full costume so that when my back was to the camera, yeah, they didn't have to CGI his head onto me um yeah for all the the forward shots and there are times that yeah are looking at yeah that's so definitely me and i I will i will watch those fights again yeah
0: to to see if i can you know see the see the joints
1: yeah oh look you can hit pause occasionally and you'll go oh yeah yeah, look that head's a little rounder and that chest a little more barreled and yeah, but there's we have the um Episode two Star Wars chess set my son and I right and it right. the the board has a photo of um, Dooku fighting Anakin yeah all right and yeah. but it's the photo they haven't photoshopped his head out right they haven't done the so it's it's fuzzy but it's clearly me yeah <laughs> really yeah it, it, it's fabulous yeah but um, oh my god oh so that's right reminds I was going to talk about Dooku and twin sabers. So many people have seen a a promotional shot of Dooku holding two sabers, right? And uh, in the original fight, so he fights Obi-Wan first and kicks the shit out of Obi-Wan and gets rid of him. Then in the movie, what you see is he's fighting Anakin and Obi-Wan goes, Anakin, and throws him his lightsaber, yeah? And Anakin Mm -hmm. starts fighting with two sabers. That's not how it happened. Obi-Wan was unconscious. And he's fighting Anakin, and he just stops and takes a pause and looks him up and down and goes, this kid's good, right? And he sucks up Obi-Wan's saber, and he attacks Anakin with two sabers. Right. And Anakin panics at first, and then Anakin starts looking and analyzing, and in a space of about 20 moves, Anakin works out the twin saber system. And he disarms uh, Dooku, takes the second saber, and comes back and attacks him again. Right. Wow. Then yeah. we disarm that and then we cut his hand off. And it's the same thing that happened because Nick loved my twin saber spinny bullshit. Yeah. So when I fought Yoda, I did the same thing. I, yeah. When he says it's not over yet, my friend. Yeah. He sucked up a second saber and came at Yoda with two sabers. Right. Yeah. And this is all stuff that you didn't get to see. Yeah. Unfortunately. Mm hmm. But the cool thing is that as far as the canon goes, apparently Jocelyn Danver, my Jedi character, is the young Jedi that invented the twin saber system. Oh, really? Yeah, right. He was a terrace Kazi champion, yeah, um, which is this tournament within the canon. There's an a intergalactic tournament of saber fighters. Yeah. Okay. And it was no killing, but... And there was an amnesty for anybody that wanted to come, so bounty hunters or whatever, yeah, could come mm-hmm. and fight at this tournament. And Jocklib was the twin was the, the champion of this tournament. But he had one rule is that he would never use the force in a sword fight. And the only time he got beat was because one of the other contestants used the force against him and beat him. Right? Oh, okay. So then we tied this together that Dooku when he was a Jedi, found this kid and said, teach me this stuff that you're doing. Ah, okay. Right. So, um, which led to a a wonderful little short that I always wanted to do with Chris, and I may still do it, but I'll have to do it animation, obviously. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and and it's just uh, a little story of of Jockled and and Dooku. Yeah. Um, Right. Dooku making him a, a backup plan, so... Uh, after the Battle of Geonosis, Dooku comes back to grab something that when he had to bugger off quickly and he lands because nobody really knows what happened to Jocelyn Danver. the way they edit it, I'm alive, I'm dead, I'm alive, I'm dead, I'm alive, I'm dead. Yeah, you can see me up, down and up and down and up and down. And so when he arrives back at the planet, he um, feels this really strong force disturbance and he starts looking around and he finds a really badly wounded Jocelyn in a corner, you know, right, barely alive. And he goes, this kid's tough, and he's good. but So he takes him off and hides him on a little moon rock, yeah, and heals him, but Jocklet has no memory of who he is, right? Uh, okay. So yeah. he starts teaching him the ways of the Sith, yeah, and Jocelyn develops the ability to throw lightning through his lightsaber. Yeah. Cool, um, yeah. And then Dooku says, right, I'm going to tell you the truth. You were a Jedi, but they left you behind to die. And he goes, well, well fuck them. He said, "I'm a Sith, and I want you to join me." Well, fuck you! What? And so Joclyd buggers off to go hide on a rock like Luke does, yeah. Um, with all of these Sith and Jedi powers, just the baddest dude in the universe, yeah. And I uh, want well, none of any of them, yeah. So it's a little short animation that I'd love to do one day.
0: Excellent. Yeah, it's a funny thing. There's there's an awful lot of sort of canon material, backstories and other stories and stuff that I've just never come across The start. To me, Star Wars is just the movie. Yes, me too. I, I've never read any of the books or... No. I, I, don't know, I, I don't know why. It's just they've never grabbed me.
1: No, I, I wanted the movie way.
0: that George wanted me to see and that was it. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure there are a bunch of questions that listeners would be wanting me to ask right now yeah. about... You know, but I think a lot of it goes to kind of almost like invasions of privacy yeah. of famous people's lives.
1: You can ask. So some, kind of, there are some that I won't. There, are, look, there are many stories I won't say and I won't tell, especially in a, a podcast like this. But next yeah, time sure. I see you, and we have a whiskey in hand, then yeah, it's carte blanche. But ask away, and I'll tell you whether I can. Okay.
0: All right. Okay, well, I, I'll, I'll just I'll just mentally edit out. Um, <laughs> any of the more obviously invasive ones, but okay. Who was the most impressive actor to work with in terms of what they could do physically?
1: Hayden, Ham- really? Hayden, the kid. I, I was a freaking okay, go ahead. machine, right? Um, I've never, still to my to this date, I've never met anybody like him. So Hayden was Canadian, grew up playing ice hockey, could skate before he could walk. And he was about to, a week before, a week, after, he got signed onto Star Wars um, and a week later he was scheduled to sign onto the U.S. pro tennis circuit. Right. Really? Yeah, nobody knew this. Right? He was a, I didn't know a that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, but he went down the movie route instead. I could show him 30 moves and we'd walk through and tap through 30 moves yeah, he'd say, "All right, let's just do that one more time without talking." We'd tap through it and go, "Right, let's go!" And he'd be hell for leather, full speed, perfect in every, in every way, shape, or form. Yeah, the kid wow. was nuts. Yeah, so okay. Yeah. Being good at tennis doesn't give you that. What What had he done to be able to learn choreography that quick? I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what it was. He's just—I hate using the term—but he was just a natural. And I think the desire and the passion to do well, yeah, uh, okay. to really want this, um, yeah, they did some horrible things to him, and he was a fat. What? Well, and I'm going to say was a fabulous actor, but a lot of that was beat out of him during these two films, you know. And um, with the the deadpan delivery of Jedi, because they're meant to be control of their emotions, therefore no emotions. And in my opinion, no, emo- like controlling your emotions isn't no emotions, right? You know? No. And at one point, he was like getting upset and he's like, How am I supposed to transition to the dark side without getting? And the answer was, Oh, we're going to give you contact lenses. That was his entire transition to the dark side. Oh, geez. yeah. So as he
0: honestly, that was, it was the least convincing part of.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, there, mean- there are many, I mean- many flaws in those movies, but so that- please, everybody don't blame Hayden for the performance that he gave because that was the performance he was directed to give. Right. And actors do what the directors say. That's our job, right? That's why yeah. they're the director. They direct us in the direction they want us to go. If you want yeah. to see Hayden perform really well, go and watch Glasshouse, which was his film that he did before Star Wars that he got Star Wars from. Right, um, right. Phenomenal young actor in every way, shape, or form, and a brilliant kid, and just the crazy, like a lovely. He was nineteen when we did f Two. Yeah. Just a lovely guy in every aspect um, and just the the most phenomenal sword choreography learner and, and theatrical sword person that I've ever met to this day. Wow. Yeah.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I, I was expecting you to say, because you were talking about Ewan McGregor doing all this leaping about and rolling around. I thought you'd probably say Ewan, but...
1: Don't get me wrong. Ewan is no. very, very close. Yeah, very close. Ewan had done the first film as well. So mm-hmm. when I first met Ewan, he'd already done episode one with Nick, right? Right. So Hayden hadn't done anything prior to that. Yeah, yeah, of and, and i got to say, those boys worked their asses off, especially for the big fight at the end. Yeah, when they weren't in our training room, they were on set. When they weren't on set, they were in the training room. And every time they were on set, they had a pair of sabers with them at all times. And when they were doing a camera reset or a lighting reset – that would be practicing and yeah running it through so I could get it because again fights are never shot in sequence on film yeah no, of course and I said we had 25 individual beats yeah some of those with yeah. the 80 moves and we'd get on set and they'd say what are we doing I'd say right we're doing beats 17 18 19 today and they'd write 17 right starts with boom and they would just go straight to beat 17 18 19 yeah but they wow. could run that's hard yeah they could run 60 80 moves yeah at a time yeah <laughs> That's, that's, that's very impressive. Yeah. Huh. I was a little bummed, yeah. I've got to be honest, that I didn't get a call for the Obi-Wan TV series. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah. After the, 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 fights that were prevalent uh, were seen in the last three films and things that I'd heard you and say about those fights, I thought for sure he was going to say, there's no way I'm wielding a saber without Nick and Kyle here. Yeah, unfortunately, that didn't happen. So, but and yeah, it's not necessarily even up to him. No, not necessarily. But Um, he could have, he would have had a bit of sway if he said, "I want them."
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, now, uh, what actual weapons do they use on set for lightsabers? Cool.
1: Um, For Episode One and Episode Two, what we had were um, there were aluminium tubes. Right. So,
0: aluminium tubes, they, they just get dinged up in two seconds, surely. Yeah. That's funnily enough, that's
1: exactly what happened. So, that's why on episode two, we went through close to 200 blades. Right. Okay. So there was a resin handle. Yeah. That yeah. had They'd been molded perfectly off them. And then Thomas, the saber guy, amazing props maker, would grind off most of the lumps and bumps and then paint yeah. them on. Cause, like, when we're using them, you can't see right yeah, and then we had uh, it had a grub screw and an aluminium tube in it, yeah, but yeah. sometimes these things in the sequence of 20 moves would end up like a banana, yeah, yeah, and I mean, why aluminium? Well, that's just what they had at the time, right so
0: that's what we were using, okay um I mean you you thought that something like like Rattan would stand up better,
1: yeah, well, they were using aluminium for whatever reason, okay, all right. So episode three rolls around and we start training with aluminium. And Thomas comes up one day and says, here, I've got something new for you boys to try. And Hayden and I just got down a beat, a fight. And and he had um, bamboo inside heat Mm -hmm. plastic, right? Oh, better. Oh, so much lighter. Yeah. And we said, great. So Hayden and I grabbed these sabers off him and went, you ready? The same beat with, yeah. And we went hell for leather. And at the end of 20 moves, these things were like a wet noodle. Yeah. Really? shattered the bamboo. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Okay. Dangling around like a whip. And like Thomas just looked at it like, you pricks. Took him off of some (laughs) out of the room. Um, And the next day he came back and what we finally settled on was um, carbon fiber. So we had carbon fiber tubes inside um, and they're about a 12 mil diameter carbon fiber tube um and we didn't we there was only one broken saber um during the all of episode three then after we had that because someone and i won't mention names threw it against the wall <laughs> in, a, okay. in, in having a fit on set yeah and um threw it yelled at somebody and walked off for the day <laughs> so um <laughs> okay that was the only one we broke yeah other than that we just um Right, yeah. uh,
0: so so then the special effects guys then kind of paint in the mm-hmm. the lightsaber blade over the carbon fiber. Tube. Yeah,
1: so the carbon fiber either had um, green or orange glow tape on it, like iridescent tape, right? So that they could make okay. the difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that was the, the biggest bummer about the Aniobi fight at the end of f three is they both have the white sabers. Yeah, mm. um, and there was no green or red like there was at the end of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, which really yeah. added that extra bit. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So the yeah the CGI boys just added them in.
0: Interesting. Okay, so okay, you can tell I thought about this a lot because actually, off. actually, actually, I I am a Jedi. I mean, I know other people are Conan and some people are ninjas. No, no, I'm a Jedi. No, no. Right. Okay. So you have an actor who takes his. Lightsaber handle off his belt. Yeah. And he presses the
1: button and it goes zoom.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Cut. How? And we cut and we hand it. Yeah, so,
0: so cut and you hand him one.
1: Okay. And that must have happened in ev- every single time somebody pulls out a lightsaber. Yes and no. Because they can also erase the blade. Right. So sometimes they would.
0: Ah! Okay.
1: We have the hero sabers which were metal and like hand-turned yeah which would have the blade in it dangling off the hip and they'd pick it up and they'd bring it up into their pose with the blade there right Ah, and they would just erase that blade and then go (laughs) makes sense right yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah okay and then that's that's been bothering me for a while other times they just pull out the handle yeah and yeah. other times we would just swap them out, yeah, you know, cut them in and cut them out. Huh. Okay. That's, yeah, movie magic, rather. <laughs> it's, it's a great yeah, one. yeah, to-
0: totally. And, and, yeah, you know, it's, it's always been sort of deception is the wrong word. Um, magic, yeah, uh, a spectacle.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's supposed to be a spectacle. Yeah. Right. And you're supposed to go, how the hell did they do that yeah. and not know? Yep. Um, It's funny, I don't normally watch making of DVDs. Right. Because most of the time I don't really want to know. Okay. There is one Um, documentary
1: that I get when I was back teaching actors that I make every single one of my actors watch, any acting student at any institute that I'm working at or even through my own school, and it's called Within a Minute. Okay. Rick McCallum, during episode three – took 48 seconds of the anti fight at the end, right? The 48 seconds where they run out on that arm and the lava burns the arm and the arm breaks off and drops down into the lava river, okay? Yeah. 48 seconds. And he said, what's really interesting about the filmmaking process is to take a sequence less than a minute and see how many people are involved in making that. Right, yeah. So that 48 seconds required 910 people Wow, I was guessing 100. 70,441 man hours of work to create 41 seconds, right? It is an amazing – it's only an hour and 17. It's on YouTube, yeah? It is an amazing documentary and insight. Now, in that hour and 17 minutes, he talks about the actors for about a minute and a half, and the reason I show actors is to show that you are one tiny cog in this massive machine. Right. Yeah. And uh, it was just the cog that happens
0: to have the spotlight on it. Exactly. The rest of the machine is invisible.
1: Right. Your cog is useless without that machine. Right. Absolutely useless. And um, it was, it's an incredible, he goes all the way through from George first penning it, all the way down through the office folks that are working out the pay, to the caterers, to the carpenters, to the set painters, to us in the stunt room. To You name it, you know. And the, yeah. the cool thing was while we were filming, Mount Etna erupted. I think – I believe it was Etna. And George went quick okay. and he threw four Go guys on a plane to fly to film it. So when you're watching those lava explosions during that fight, they're real footage of the Mount Etna eruption. That's genius. Yeah. And he said, I want real footage of lava. Go get it. And he put four guys on a plane – and flew them out there, and they filmed for a week, and then they flew back, and they had their digital lava, yeah, which was real. That's amazing. Yeah, very, very clever.
0: And, and it's that sort of attention to detail, yeah, that that makes that makes a difference in, in lots of different kinds of works of art. It's yeah. so like you can see that, and, and an awful lot of this stuff never gets seen. No, it. But and like, like that business with the backstories. Yeah. Right. Characters have backstories I, I've I listen to a lot of you know book writing podcasts and stuff and quite often they have um, novelists on oh. and one of the things that the novelists often say I don't write novels but it, it's interesting anyway the, the one thing that a lot of novelists do is they write an entire backstory for a character who may be just yeah. a, a a waiter who who hands the main character a glass of wine in a restaurant and has never seen or heard of a cat Right. But that, that, the writer knows that character's backstory, which just, it makes it more likely that it will all seem to have a kind of a, a depth of field. Yeah. A,
1: most most a- script writers do the same thing, and it's called the Bible, yeah, for any production. Yeah. Okay. Uh, script writers, and the, uh, the Bible for any film will be twice as thick as the actual script. Yeah um just giving all of that yeah and it's great yeah and i think it's it's vitally important so that if you have a question for the writer yeah you can yeah and oh yeah i can they can tell you although yeah. as an actor yeah i don't I, I see acting students coming up and making up incredible bullshit backstories yeah and for my money as an actor I don't need any part of my backstory that isn't referenced within my section of the script or within the script. So if my third grade teacher isn't mentioned in the story, then I don't create the backstory for that. Right. right. I don't need to, but if she is mentioned even in passing, then I will give a backstory for her name and what she looked like. And where she was, she was nice or nasty to me, a supportive teacher or whatever. Yeah. So the details yeah. that I have in my script as, uh, and or in the story yeah, that pertain to me, um, I will give backstory. But I don't tend to give time to, and I see actors getting bogged down in so much bullshit, yeah, that is totally irrelevant for them as the actor, yeah, yeah.
0: It reminds me of in historical martial arts, yeah, it's usually pretty clear. Which practitioners have actually studied the history and all the stuff around? Yep. Sindhu. Yeah. So we have a, a you, know, you can look at a historical fencing treatise as a, you know, a book of techniques. Do this with a sword, do that with a sword. Your opponent does this, you should do that. And yep. That's kind of the heart of it. And we're recreating those actions. But lots of things which, is, which impact how you will bring that to life aren't mentioned in the text like you know it, they may not say why you would be fighting a person or what specific kind of fight it's going to be is it going to is it is it a duel yeah between two heart you know slightly drunk noblemen around the back of the pub or is it something that was arranged a month ago and it's a public display or whatever and these things may not be actually mentioned but that information is available. And if you have it, it just, it helps everything to make sense, even if you don't actually refer to it specifically when you're doing the thing.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, who was in, who was sitting on the throne at the time, who was the most powerful, noble. Yeah. All of those things historically were important. Yeah.
0: yeah, and, And they can, they can impact like, okay, why would you stand in a guard to wait? Well, There are lots of reasons. One reason may be that in this particular time, in this particular place, if you had been challenged to a duel, you had to stand and your challenger had to attack with a committed blow, and that was how the fight was supposed to start. Yeah. For instance. Yeah. In the same way, in, in many um in the old days, a lot of fencing matches, like classical fencing matches, would start from engagement.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? They moved the fences further apart later on, but they're there are few times when the normal starting position is you're both engaged in cease and that's where you start from
1: yeah it, it's um, like, like, like romeo and juliet god knows what training shakespeare actually had but i can i can tell the little of that i know my little historical knowledge he knew, he was trained he knew sword fighting yeah the way he describes the fight but the, when mercutio and tybalt yeah square off and it's like come sir, you're yeah, and it's vital that Mercutio draws first as the challenger, right? That way, Tybalt can defend himself. He's been called out in the middle of the street when they've been yeah. told by the prince, don't fight or I'll kill the lot of you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I always find that like actors that, oh, Tybalt's furious. He's going to draw his sword first. And Come on, then. It's like, no, don't do that. No. <laughs> right? So that's what yeah. he says. Come, sir, you're <laughs> Draw your blade, make your move, and I will counter yeah. it. Yeah, but I will not. Yeah, it reminds
0: me. I, I had. I, I discussed this a bit with uh, Ben Crystal, who's an actor who specializes in original pronunciation Shakespeare. Yeah, cool. Um, and we sort of came to the conclusion that because they weren't rehearsing these plays much, no. the actors must have been competent fencers yeah. who could throw together a sword fight in you know, a few minutes by, okay, we agree on the starting position and we have this kind of theatrical on-stage kill or whatever the end's supposed to be. And in between, we're just going to fence without hitting
1: each other. But, yeah, it's my belief that I've been told that the actors of the time had certain sequences that they would, as the actors, they would learn, right? Okay. And they would give them nicknames or whatever. So when you've gone from playing Hamlet and you go to Romeo and Juliet and you go, okay, well, let's do – um, Barry, Bob, and then Mary, right? Okay. So they would know these sequences, and at the end, story yeah. I'm going to cut you on the leg, right? And in between, there might have been some um, some back and forth. I've got I've yet to read uh, John Lennox's Doctor John Lennox's book. I don't know if you know John. Um, I know John really well. He stayed
0: in my house. We're old friends, and in exactly. fact, I've been meaning to get him on the show for ages. Thank you for reminding Do me. It. I'm just going to write what myself a note. Really like-
1: his book on the history of stage combat. Right, so yeah. um, from the early, early, early days, yeah, like way back Shakespearean days, uh, he's researched the book of the evolution of stage combat. Yeah, so uh, he will be able to give you much more info on that. But I believe sh- that yeah, okay. short sequences that all the actors of the time would learn. Yeah, and they're saying, right, you're taking the A side, I'll, th- I'll be the B side. Yeah, okay, and that tradition. You apparently went right up into like early Hollywood days. Yeah, before they were like, Now we want something more flash, and then you had the likes of Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone that were being trained right. up constantly to be able to, to fight better. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Great. Okay.
0: So how how much of your practice is actually historical martial arts? Or has been? <sighs> Okay. That, you, you mentioned a lot of like the Chinese yeah. weapons stuff and judo and yeah. jujitsu and various other things, which are which are kind of living tradition martial arts. Yeah. How, how much of the actual historical stuff have you,
1: have you looked into? Okay. It's uh, okay to
0: say not much. Don't worry.
1: Yeah. No. No. Oh. Um, ever again, as I said, ever since my first paddy, it has became a, a much deeper influence. So, okay. um, as Blake and I have been re. Creating the um, the curriculum for uh, the Australian Stage Combat Association for the last ten mm-hmm. years, it has been a hundred percent trying to research more and more historical work and making sure that we're using the correct, as, as to our best knowledge, the most correct techniques. So, now okay. our longsword fight. Looks different to our arming sword fight, which looks different to our side sword fight, which looks different to our Chinese Dao, which looks. Different- Hallelujah. Which looks. Different- <laughs> Hallelujah. Right, brother. I thought you'd appreciate that. We have done, we have yeah. done our ass to make sure. And it's like, so side sword. I, I, um, many years ago, I fell in love with Angelo Vigiani's work, right? Oh, I adore Viggiani. So, oh my God. I, and as side sword is our basic certification weapon for basic certification, okay. you do unarmed and you do side sword. Right. And okay. when I started looking into it, all of a sudden our side sword had a completely different look to any other single arm, like single handed sword that we were doing. Right From of course. My interpretation of Vigiani.
0: And, and Vigiani actually goes into depth and detail about the mechanics.
1: Yeah. Now he tells well, you how to move. The re- yeah, and the reason I love Vigiani was because I'm going to these workshops, uh, the Paddy Crane. I'm going to Combat Con in Vegas. I'm doing all these other things, and I'm not going to teach longsword when Stephen Fick and Scotty Brown are there. I'm not going to try and okay. rapier when Ramon and Jeanette Martinez or Jared Kirby or the likes are there. So I wanted a sword system. Everyone wanted me to teach lightsaber, 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 lightsaber. I wanted a sword sure. system that I could take. Yeah. Uh, um, that I could teach that people would enjoy. And the first time I presented it at Combat Con, I asked Ramon and Jeanette, uh, Ray and Jeanette Martinez to come and sit in and critique the hell out of me. Cause it was the first okay. time that I'd taken a, a, a historical treatise and I'd worked it out for myself. Right. Right. That's, that's a, that's a big step. Yeah. And so I'd make my own interpretations and could be very wrong for a lot of people, but, so what I did at the end of the day, Grand um, General, mum and dad, as I get to call them. Yeah. I got them down in the pub. I said, what did you think? Honestly. And I said, we can't fault your work. Right. Much oh, wow. That's everything lovely. you did was spot on. The changes you made, we understand theatrically. Yeah. And we probably would have made the same changes theatrically for it. Um, and it was like fantastic. Yeah. You know? But what I, I love sort of about Vigiani, yeah, so, all right, so you know Vigiani. You have his third position, right, mm-hmm. which in the his book is, like, extended out behind his back for some reason, which I don't understand. Is it? Yeah, it's almost parallel no, to the ground.
0: No, well, the, the sword, awesome. um, so the third there. First, first, second is pointing forward, third, you just turn the hand. Okay. So the arm is the arm is almost straight
1: up and the sword yep. is pointing yep. straight back. Third, like you're and then fifth, yep. fifth is sort of down-centered. Yeah. Yeah. So the beauty of it is I take Vigiani as a basic. I can have that and it, it, there's such simple mechanics um, of every human. So I can have an old man walking down the street with his walking stick, right? And some guy comes out to, to mug him and he points that at his chest and get away from me, you young prick. Yeah. And he's pretty much in fit. And he yeah. raised it above his head. Get away from here. I'll crown you. Yeah. He's in third. Yeah. 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 Um, or the, the, the punk with the lead pipe steps out to rob you and puts the point in your chest and give me your money and raise it like, give me your money or I'll beat the hell out of you. And he's using fifth and Same third. things. Yeah. Right. And so the, I now teach the one, like those seven wards. Yeah. Or guards. I teach so that. It doesn't matter what character you're playing. Now you could be playing, yeah, Romeo, yeah. And, yeah, you've still got the same basic mechanics from a punk to a, an old man defending himself to a historical swordsman, yeah. And it's just uh, a beautiful way of using that one system, yeah. So, yeah, Vigiani became very much a, a passion of mine to that. Uh, yeah, I love Vigiani.
0: Are, are you using Swanger's translation? Uh, I believe so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Jarek's, uh, um, he, he has done so much good work on the translation front. One of the reasons I'm a capoferro man when it comes to Rapia is because Jarek Swanger and William Wilson produced a free translation of capoferro back in like 2002 or something. Right. Before my Italian was good enough for really, to really deal with capoferro in um, <clears throat> you know, in the original language. And it was just, yeah, it, it just makes everyone's life
1: so much easier when we have access to these translations. I, so yeah I have something I want to do with Vigiani's work, but I'm not gonna stay on air. On. He's asking about it when you turn off the recording. Okay. Alright. Okay. Alright. Top secret yeah. top secret. It's top secret All right. Vigiani stuff.
0: Okay. Well then then let's let's skip straight ahead to what is actually my last question, which is okay. what is the best idea you haven't actually Oh
1: god, I saw this and I don't know. Um, I, I was racking my brain for this for the whole day. What is the best idea I've never acted on? Um. Well,
0: I've got one for you. Yeah, go for it. I think you should, seeing as you've actually like done lightsaber stunt doubling stuff and choreographed lightsaber fights and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You definitely have some authority in the lightsaber field. Yes. Right? Yeah. And while you certainly can't, produce the official Star Wars lightsaber training manual because that's totally copyrighted and they'll sue you to death. Yeah. You can certainly write a memoir about how you did it, which includes all sorts of instruction about how you trained actors to use lightsabers, which happens
1: to give them an actual proper lightsabery education. Okay. You could do that. I will answer that. Yes I absolutely could, but no I absolutely can't. Because Why? because it's not mine, it's Mine and Nick's, and it's mostly Nick's, right? Okay. So well, well, Nick why and I have discussed it? for many years about doing it, right? Yeah. And doing the official book because there is so much bollocks out there. Yeah. Uh, even some of my best historical sword friends around the world that have started teaching lightsaber, which I still am technically not allowed to do, <laughs> right, Um, all hold the bloody saber wrong, and it pisses me off. So, I've corrected all of my historical friends, many that you know, right?
0: How should you? I, I have a saber right here. Okay. Okay. I'm going to
1: so, hate you Okay, hold your side. No, tell me. Right, no, put your hands together. Choke Why? It. There you go. Why? Okay. Turn it off now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, when you have a long sword or, or a katana, yeah, yeah, need the leverage, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we want those hands part pushed apart for the push pull side of side of things. Yeah. Okay. Um, because you have three feet of heavy steel out in front and you need that extra leverage. The blade in that doesn't weigh anything. Yes. You are so why are you using two hands? Ah. I don't know, because George said so, because he modelled them off samurais. But we were so <laughs> so much, so much faster with our hands together. And because I'll tell you the main reason that the hands go together on the lightsaber, because uh-huh. freaking lightsaber, not a longsword. <laughs> 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 that is the freaking style. All right. Uh, yeah. All right.
0: All right. All right. All right.
1: Okay. So everybody wants to treat it like a glowy longsword or a glowy katana, and it's not. Yes. Right. You choke it up a little higher up on the hilt. Yeah. You hold it right up the top. Yeah, and you get your hands together. And that's just the way it was created, yeah. By the only true two Jedi Masters on the planet, Nick and myself. And <laughs> and that is the- although
0: although you say that, yeah. but in 2006, uh, in Singapore, mm-hmm. um, I taught a seminar, a long historical longsword seminar, yeah. for Lucasfilm Animation in Singapore. Excellent uh, for the for the animators who were creating the Clone Wars yeah. animated series. Right? And at the end of it, they brought out a whole bunch of sabers and they asked me the various questions about it. Which means I have technically, technically, I have trained the animators who created the Clone Wars 2, which means
1: technically yeah. I am
0: also a Jedi Master. Uh, technically.
1: Well, you're a Jedi Padawan. I'll give you that one.
0: <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> I am no such thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, you can be a Jedi Master, my friend. Um, yeah, I also get or the, um, the mo-cap for Battlefront. Yeah. Okay. After we finished uh, Wanted and, um, with Nick, and he, he did, couldn't go and do it, so I went over to um, – vancouver and spent a week doing mocap so I was, i've actually played double darth vader as well so oh cool yeah in that game i'm darth vader oh fantastic i would all the shit um, but yeah but that, that's the thing like with the saber and all my friends yeah you see them spreading their hands really wide and it's like okay but it's 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 slow and it doesn't need power yeah it doesn't it doesn't have any weight yeah uh, see
0: uh, i dispute your assertion but having my hands apart makes my blade work any slower than having it together I dispute okay. that assertion
1: then we might find with to, to get together and play again okay let's
0: let, let us do that because i I don't buy the it's faster thing I don't buy it okay no well um it because okay, that's not been that's not been my lived experience of it but anyway but we were, we were talking about this book that you and Nick are definitely going to write
1: yeah we would like to uh, like Nixon uh um, it, it has always been on the the plate, but um, and that's when we were kind of in with good with Lucasfilm. Um, again, now with the Angry Mouse in charge, we don't know if it's ever going to um, ever happen. And okay. again, it has been twenty years, and Nick sort is over it. And I got to admit that another reason that when the the new movies came out, that everyone's like, "Are you excited? Are you excited? Are you excited?" And I really wasn't, and I and I couldn't work out for a long time why I was over Star Wars, yeah, and why I didn't care anymore. And then one day it dawned on me that much like Wizard of Oz, I've seen the wizard behind the curtain. I saw the stupidity, the arrogance, the ignorance, the selfishness that went into making those movies, and it stole the joy that I'd had since I was a young kid, yeah, and all of a sudden it was just another job, Yeah. So I was never able to look at them the same way um, uh, as I did. And I don't wish to detract from anybody's enjoyment of yeah, the films, the books, the TV series or anything like that. I haven't watched Mandalorian. I haven't watched Boba Fett. I haven't watched any of the TV stuff yet. Yeah. And when the movies were coming out, people were like, Are hey, you so excited. Yeah. And I was like, no, just not. Yeah. And- but, but also it, it's it's like the
0: the making of DVD thing. Yeah. Right. It's, if you, if you work behind the scenes, yeah. it takes, or if you see behind the scenes, it,
1: yeah, I know, it, it does, it's not, it's not
0: surprising to me that it, it, it steals some of the magic.
1: Yeah, yeah, a little bit, but I, I can still enjoy films very, very, very much. Um, but there are, yeah, things that about Star Wars, which is, is why much as it was, some of the best times of my life. It was also some of the most infuriating. Yeah. Mm. And, um, but yeah, but that's the, just the way it goes. But yeah, whether, it, whether it is, does turn out technically faster or not, it is the style. Yeah. And <laughs> oh, two if, ago. Okay. if you're in, so and you can't argue with the books. Yeah. You can't argue with that's, that.
0: that. Fair enough. No, that's, that's a fair point. It's what makes it um, different.
1: And everybody can say, okay. like, "Oh, look! It's it's a it's a a, a laser bladed longsword," and they're forgetting one important fact: that the lightsaber precedes any human weapon on Earth by hundreds of thousands of years. It's a it's a long time ago in the galaxy a galaxy far far time away. Go in a galaxy far far away. So I mean, we're talking; it could be a million years ago, technically. Right? It's never established. So when the I love where it, like. I was throwing in Schwerhaus and all sorts of stuff, yeah. And people, oh, look at that. He's using and He's like, no, no, no. You've just, yeah, somehow the atoms that make up you as a German longsword fighter, yeah, are the same as the atoms and the midichlorians from this Jedi a million years ago that have floated through the universe and you've just haven't forgotten it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my way around the bullshit. Uh, Yeah,
0: because I I do remember there was a a big deal was made about, uh, oh my god, Yoda is using German longsword.
1: Yeah <laughs> no. Yoda was, no. <laughs> Yoda was never there. Yoda was never there. And it was um yeah, it, it was uh, it was just Kyle, flippy twirly as fast as you can and we'll do something with Yoda later. I had no idea what that so, was.
0: Oh uh, okay, so so there was no actual deliberate okay, we've got some historical martial arts stuff here, let's throw it in.
1: No, I did that. Okay. Right, and and I did that with the Hayden and Ewan fight in particular. There, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. There's one part that is cut out, which I am upset that it was cut out. But there was a mistake when they were filming, and they'd crossed the theatrical line, and they couldn't reverse it, right? Because it's the basically they, they fall. Actually, so when you're filming, you have what's called the line, right? Right. So imagine if I'm in a room and we have two actors. You draw a line, an imaginary line down the room. And I can film anywhere on that side of the line, 180-degree curve, but I can't cross okay. that line. So if I'm filming okay. two people at a dinner table, right, and you and I are at a table and the camera's on you and I'm on the left of screen and you're on the right of screen, I can angle that camera around 180 degrees on this side of the table and you will always stay on the right of screen and I will stay on the left of screen. But if I cross oh, the line, we go to the left of the screen and it just does people's heads, right? Right. Now yeah. it had to be yeah. a fight section where they had both hands on. Nobody would notice that all of a sudden the left hand's on top and the right hand's not, right? But it's- I, I have noticed that in the past. So right. I would, but most people. Moment wouldn't. when they they end up jumping down and they're landing on they're standing on the pipe crossing over the lava, right? Yeah, and they're using one hand for balance. And I threw in thirty eight moves of rapier. Lovely, right? There was a whole bunch of thrusting and parrying, riposting, yeah, degages, yeah, coupes, the whole bit. And um, as they moved their way across this, but we couldn't reverse it because all of a sudden their swords would have been in their left hand. Without and that would them, be really yeah, obvious. Yeah, it would have been really obvious. So um, that's the one bit that I know is missing. And because, I, yes, I had some katana in there, I had some longsword in there. And again, yes, I favor the German school over the Italian. We can't do everything. Yeah, and my my early I'm sorry, sir. My early influence. That's all right. Was Scotty Brown, God, God love him, and um, and and, and te- teaching actors, I just find that like Vigiani, a, a simpler yeah, teach them the wards and then transition from one ward to the next. But yeah, so the, and there was this beautiful piece of rapier uh, across this pipe, um, but unfortunately, it's one of the the two and a half minutes of footage that got cut out. Ah. Ah, that's a shame.
0: That, I, that, would have, that would have pleased me mightily, I can tell you.
1: <laughs> like, we also, I also invented an unarmed Jedi fighting system. So in the room where they both disarm each other and they have their little squabble on the table, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about unarmed. So I'd made their arms their ah. neighbours, So it was very much based on um, Shaolin Longfist. Yeah. Okay. So, so a, a bladed hand with fingers pointed. Yeah, and their arms became the saber, and we did this really cool sort of Chinese-inspired straight arm fight, um, which nobody had ever seen, with some cool wrap-ups and twists and locks and stuff. Um, but unfortunately, when we finished that and showed George, he just wasn't into it. Yeah, uh, he just wanted. To sort Fair of-
0: enough. Yeah. All right. Well, honestly. Honestly. When it comes to, like, Star Wars stuff, Mm -hmm. to me, it isn't Star Wars without lightsabers. No. So, so like, that film, um, Rogue One, quite possibly, in many respects, the best of all the Star Wars films. Yeah. Um, But it didn't actually do it for me, because... The only moment which actually felt like Star Wars was the very end when Darth Vader shows up and turns on his lightsaber.
1: Yeah. I was like,
0: oh, it is actually Star Wars. It's, it's brilliant.
1: Not, it's not Star Trek y yeah. thingy. Yeah, no, right. I totally agree. And that's why when we got the script, because normally there's been one fight at the end of the film, right? From yeah. the very first start, from A New Hope to Empire to Return of the Jedi. Yeah. There's the classic right.
0: duel at the end between duel, the goody yeah. and the baddie. When always. we got
1: the script for ep three and there were eleven fights and the first one <laughs> <line> happened in <laughs> the yeah. first five minutes, we're like, oh shit, we got some work to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, so so we're not gonna get your your idea <laughs> that you haven't acted
1: on yet. I, I i I seriously you you wanna say um, What's one idea that I haven't acted on? This is one that I haven't yet acted on. Can okay, and it is something that I desperately uh, have had a longing to do for a long time. But I do feel if I even say any more than I have right now, somebody's going to steal it and do it before I do.
0: Okay, in my experience, no, I'm, yes. I'm not. I, we, we, you will tell me at the end of this yes, when um, when we've turned off the thing, and, and that's fine. So I will get to know. So yeah. I'm, I'm not pressuring you to, to do, you know, to, to actually say it to the listeners. Okay. Absolutely not. But in my experience, ideas are cheap and execution is everything. Yeah. So, for example, I produced a card game, right? Something yep. I had no experience of doing over, but I, you know, we raised some money and found the right people and yep. produced this card game. Okay the two most common responses, the first most common response was, oh my God, that's so cool, right? When I'm talking to somebody who's a sword person, they're like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Right. Second most common response was, I have the same idea.
1: Yeah. It's like... I'm sure somebody else has had this idea as well, but I don't want to trigger anybody going, oh, he's going to do it, I better do it first because I don't know when I'll be able to do it.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, I honestly... I, I, it's, I never worry about sharing my ideas like that. Yeah, because. I
1: normally don't, but this one's kind of special to me. And okay. it's been my experience. The moment I put an idea into the universe, I often miss the boat. Interesting. That's-
0: Okay, well, tell you what, let's wrap up now. Yes, sir. Because I want to hear what this idea is. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so, well, thank you very much indeed for joining me today, Carl. It's been Uh, great
1: seeing you again. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you very much, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure and it's been wonderful catching up, mate. You look great.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kyle. You can find the episode show notes at swordschool.com forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can and definitely should sign up for my mailing list, and I'll send you a free copy of my book, Fighting for Writers, Game Designers and Martial Artists. I'd like to thank my patrons on Patreon for their kind support of the show. It lets me know that you care about the show and want it to continue. You can join us there for behind the scenes content and to submit your questions for future guests. That's patreon.com forward slash the sword guy. Thanks, as always, to Andrew Lawrence King for the Baroque harp accents originally recorded for my Paradoxes of Defense audiobook project. Join us next week when I'll be talking to Elizabeth Scott, who is a historical martial arts and armoured combat practitioner on foot and on horseback, as well as being a surgeon. And yes, I do ask her what it feels like to put those delicate surgical fingers in the way of poleaxes. You definitely don't want to miss that. So you should subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're there, please do rate the show. And if you have an extra minute, leave a review. It really does help. Thanks for listening and I will see you next week.